Réveille-toi, il est midi, tu dors encore, réveille-toi, n'écoute pas Babylone, il t'a fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple, n'écoute pas Afrique, Afrique, toi cheveux crepus. Toi maïale bo simbani babige Oya bilanga bo simbani bakongo Simbani maboko mouna le kate Afrika Malo bate Moussalande Mouindo yangolo Afrika Mobali yamingao Afrika Hatona mosolo Afrika Tu gâtonon par-ci par-là Welcome to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people in America. I'm your host, Patricia Lokwa, joining me with Kambali Musavuli. And uh, Kambali, how are you? Welcome to the studio. I'm happy and I'm sad. Uh, I'm happy because it's another show uh, that we are doing in 2016. I'm a little sad because we're going to be taking a break uh, for a little while until summer comes up. Well, I'm actually excited because uh, speaking of Congo Live, I will be going to the Congo soon. Um, so when I get back, uh, hopefully I'll have a lot of great stories to share with our audience and you about some of my experiences in Congo. It's been a long time. It's been 10 years. So I'm absolutely excited about that. When's the last time you went? When was the last time I went? I think the last time I went <laughs> was the last time I actually left the country. So that was 17. Uh, yeah. 17 years ago, actually, today. Uh, not today, I mean, uh, this year. As of this moment. Um, okay. I left uh, the Congo in 1998. Still remember the uh, the time when we left. It was quite interesting. Paul um, saying scary. I don't want to say that to scare our listeners. But it was uh, trying times uh, back in Congo during that time uh, where my family was fortunate enough uh, where my dad knew a few people who could help us get out of the country. Uh, we came as refugees, uh, being an immigrant in the United States for quite a while now. And I must say a voice for the Congo, and you've been doing an awesome job representing the Congolese uh, community here in the USA. Thank you. So um, to get back to a little bit into our show, today's guest on Congo Live is Ms. Ndona Gimbi Nyomo, the president and founder of Festival Congo, Inc. We will discuss her career in the financial sector, sector, her passion for arts, her perspective on the role of women in the transformation of change in the Congo, and also the work she's doing for Congo Festival, which takes place every year uh, during the summer. Actually, this is going to be the first year in Atlanta, so we're hoping it's going to be every year. Uh, we always encourage our listeners to join our conversation by calling 410-481-1010 later on during the show, and we always enjoy your questions. But first, let's hear from Kambale the news on what's happening on the ground. The UDPS uh, political party in the Congo, the long-standing opposition party, invited opposition figures and civil society to Belgium for, uh, for a gathering on June 6 and 7 to discuss the current crisis in the Congo and the impasse that the Congolese population is facing now. Uh, last week, a number of U.S. senators initiated a resolution in the U.S. Congress calling on the Obama administration to enact targeted sanctions against top officials in the Kabila government should they continue to repress the population and fail to organize the elections. Former head of the National Electoral Commission, uh, Abe uh, Apollinaire Malumalu, 
uh, passed this week after battling an illness for several months. Congo Central Bank has taken over the International Bank of Africa uh, in Congo, BIAC, in an effort to save the bank and protect its customer. The U.S. largest investment in the Congo, and this is quite important for our listeners, the U.S. largest investment in the Congo, thanking Fungurume Copper Mine, uh, which is owned by uh, the American company Freeport McMoran, uh, is one of the largest copper reserves in the world, and cobalt in the world is being sold to the Chinese by Freeport, actually, to the tune of $2.6 billion. So many people are watching, actually, what are the implications of the sale of that mine and what it actually means uh, for U.S. strategic interests in the Congo today. Main opposition figure, Moise Katumbi, who left Congo over a week ago to seek medical care in South Africa, is now headed to Europe for further care. Moise Katumbi was injured during a rally around his court case in the DRC. Uh, the Kabila government is charging him for recruiting mercenaries, ostensibly to overthrow the Kabila regime. Katumbi denies the charges and said that he has security guards as opposed to mercenaries. As I just mentioned, uh, the whole issue with uh, the so-called mercenaries that Katumbi has, one of our uh, Katumbi security guards uh, was arrested uh, in Congo. He's an American citizen. His name is Daryl Lewis. He's 40 years, uh, years old, a former U.S. airman turned security advisor at the Virginia-based Jones Group, headed by General Jim Jones, who's uh, a retired uh, U.S. military. Learning of her son's arrest in the Congo, Lewis's mother suffered a heart attack and has been hospitalized. Uh, unfortunately, Lewis is still under arrest in the Congo. Last week, Congo's opposition called for a countrywide demonstration against the Kabila regime in the Congo. People turned out throughout the country. The most demonstrators in Goma are clashed with the police as the city prohibited the march there. And uh, we have had reports of uh, at least uh, two individuals killed during the demonstration. People did descend to the streets to demand that the Kabila regime respect Congo's constitution by organizing timely election this year.
Juma Jeng. Écoute mon Pao et son ami. artist Kofi Olomiden collaboration with Senegalese artist Yusundur. Kofi is one of the renowned Congolese artists who has made many hits throughout the years and his music is listened through across the African continent. We were honored today to have our guest Congolese women with an impressive biography uh, by the name of um, Nyomo, who Kambale is going to be giving us a little bit of uh, an introduction to her bio before she joins us. Very honored to actually have her with us today, Mamandona Kembi Nyomo, the president and founder of Festival Congo Inc. Mamandona is a surrealist artist and a writer with a background in finance, investment, translation, and sales. A licensed stockbroker who holds both the FINRA Series 7 and Series 63 brokers license. Donna has worked in the investment industry for 10 years and in New, uh, in New York, in Toronto, and prior, currently, she has just moved to uh, Georgia, where she is now working with uh, E-Trade uh, there. With clients in the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, France, Belgium, and Luxembourg, she had the opportunity to use her diverse background and language skill as a leverage when educating clients on foreign domestic capital and commodities market. 
But what I'm really interested to hear is about her experience that she had in the finance sector, but her passion in the arts, uh, especially uh, being the daughter of the famous jazz musician and a professor from Kong, Kinshasa, and also growing in a household uh, with a, an American mother who was a model and dancer. You know, she was exposed uh, by what she calls um, many different cultures that she calls the United Nations. So I want to hear uh, from her how the influence of the arts at home and a background in finance has impacted her life today and what she wants to bring to the people of Atlanta as she organizes a Festival Congo in Atlanta. Mamandona, how are you? I'm very good in yourself. Really excited to have you. I mean, I was talking so many praises about your work, especially because I heard what many people didn't hear, the fantastic poem that you read at the African Burial Ground in uh, New York City. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about um, that poem and uh, that, you know, that event that you participated in where we met? Oh, wow. Um, so the title of the poem is Slave. And um, it actually, I started writing it a few months ago. And, you know, by chance, I was invited to come to speak at the African Burial Ground in New York City by your organization. And um, the poem pretty much is, it's, pretty, it's like a journey. And I like to refer to it as a conversation between um, the Spirit of God and an oppressive spirit or being. Mm -hmm. And I, throughout the poem, I speak about who we are as African people, but more precisely as people of the Congo, um, knowing that we had our own identities, our own languages, our own sense of self-worth prior to colonization, as well as prior to the the Atlantic slave trade, as well as the slave trade that took place in Eastern Africa. So throughout the poem, I speak of, um, I made reference to traditional instruments that you can find in Congo, such as the, such as the binganao, which is a, uh, a whistle, mm -hmm. um, the ngoma, which is a drum. Um, I also made reference to a number of, of, um, of terms that, Hopefully, through that poem, the African-American community will also become more familiar with um, not only traditional religion, but also what the beliefs were before mm -hmm. and the effects of colonialism and the effects of um, slavery and how it affects you know, who we are as a people today as well as before. So I can, rather than go into reading the poem, I think that that's pretty much an overview as to what the poem entails. Our listeners may not know also uh, what is the Africa Bioground. Can you share a little bit uh, with our listener what it is? <laughs> the poem itself? No, specifically the African Burial Ground. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, the African Burial Ground in New York City, it's a... I, I remember a few years ago there was going to be some work taking place um, down by the courts near Center Street if anyone's familiar with New York City, but it's down by the court systems, and they were doing some digging to be able to build, to erect a new building. And while doing so, they discovered some bones, and through testing, they, they found that those bones actually belonged to former African slaves wow. that were enslaved in the city of New York. And, well, it was prior to it being the city of New York, but the New Amsterdam. So they discovered that there were actual bones of African slaves who were 
enslaved in the state of New York. I'm actually um, wondering if before the end of the show, if you have the poem, uh, it sounds very intriguing and it seems like uh, I actually want to hear the poem. So maybe before the end of the show, you can read a part of the poem. So just we can have it in our archives and I can go home and kind of really think through uh, some of the words because it seems like it's uh, something I would love to hear. Or if we can at least uh, do it today, we would love to get access to it and share it with some of our followers um, on Facebook. Absolutely. I'd love to. So the question I, I uh, have for you, just to go a little bit back into your background, were you born in the Congo or were you born here in the USA? Mm. And Go ahead. Oh, so go ahead. I can wait. No, and the, the main question is, were you born in the Congo? Were you born here? And what has your experience been like? Uh, we tend to ask our guests, what has your experience been like at home to keep Congo alive? Um, well, me personally, I was born in New York City mm-hmm. in the village of Harlem. Um, and I... I found that my experience when trying to, well, when keeping Congo alive, for me, it really wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a household where, um, though my mother is African-American, she comes from a very proud um, African-American family, the parent family in Evanston, Illinois. But my dad, being um, very, very proud to be Congolese, and at that time when I was growing up, it was still Zaire. Um, so I grew up, you know, being a proud Zairoise. Okay. And, yeah. And it really wasn't something that was an afterthought. It was everyday present, especially because my name being Ndona, mm. I always had to be prepared to explain what my name meant, why would my parents name me such a name. And, um, and because of the way I grew up, I was very well equipped with the whole African or Congolese or Zairean uh, identity to go along with that. So I was at a very young age a historian, so I had to be prepared to explain to people why my name was important and why I was given it. Interesting enough, uh, I'm looking at your bio right now, and it, you know, it's, it's very extensive, as uh, Kambale had mentioned. How do you go from, uh, you know, growing from a Congolese background, and, uh, you know, how do you get into finance, and even you being in finance and working with, you know, brokers and so forth, like, how do you connect that to what you may potentially want to do in the future for Congo, and why do you feel that that may be a need? It's actually, you know, for me, I, I, it's very hard for me to understand why there aren't so many Congolese people in the financial industry, mm-hmm. considering that the majority of their natural resources that are traded on open markets come directly from Africa, and more specifically, a large quantity comes directly from Congo. Um, you know, working in finance, not only do you have the opportunity to um, research and work with a lot of publicly traded corporations, but also you have the opportunity to pretty much understand how the world markets work. So, you know, for example, if I were to wake up and take a look at the Bloomberg terminal or even just pull on, put on the financial news, whether it's CNBC or Bloomberg, you are constantly bombarded with what is coming directly from Africa, whether it's coffee, oil, um, gold, um, titanium. Every resource you can imagine is being traded and very few Africans, or even specifically Congolese, are taking advantage of what is being traded, though it's coming from their country. So it's pretty much interconnected. There's no way that you can speak about finance without speaking about Africa and without speaking about Congo. There's no way. It's, uh, as I listen to you, you remind me of uh, one of my mentors. Uh, Kambali also knows him, Paul. Paul always says, um, 
you know, the Congolese, they need to find out what they need, what, what the issues are in Congo. And as they're going in the diaspora, these are the, some of the, the things that they should be focusing on in school, whether it be architect, whether it be, you know, what you're doing. And in what you're doing, what would you say, um, like a key element of what you've learned? Because the average listener who may be listening to us, and including myself, may not know much about finance. So what is a piece of what you've learned how can you describe it? I'm trying to figure out, how, can, how would you describe it to some of our listeners, why it's relevant? Besides the fact that we have minerals, but what are some, you know, information that you may have gotten in the finance sector that you may say, you know what, going in the Congo, this is something that I can do, and this is how I can make it productive and relevant in the Congo? Mm-hmm. Um, usually what I tend to do, even if it's educating um, just a client, I simplify it. There is no way that the world can function without Africa. There's no way that even the United States can function without what is coming out of Africa. And it's not just the... When I speak of natural resources, I'm not just speaking about the oil, but even things such as food, palm oil. If you look at the ingredients of so many of the products that are sold here in the United States, the base is palm oil. Like you have palm olive dish liquid. If you take a look at the ingredients, it says palmate. Palmate it comes directly from the palm oil, um, and you can even keep, you can even link that to when speaking of health. Oftentimes, when the conversation changes regarding what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat, it also is linked directly to the change in prices on certain resources that are trading. So when, say, for example, we're told, oh, do not eat any, well, Congolese people are told, don't eat anything with palm oil because it's not good for your health. Mm -hmm. Knowing that palm oil is used in so many foods here in the United States and used in so many products we use here in the United States, but at the same time, Congolese people are told not to eat it. Why are they being told not to eat it? It's not necessarily because it's not healthy for them. It's because it's also going to affect the ability to be able to continue to import that product into the United States and use it in what we're using and eating here. Um, our ancestors have eaten um, food with palm oil in it for generations, but they do not have the elements that many people are dying of today, that they're saying that if you use palm oil, you're going to die or this, that, and the other. So if people pay close attention, I know they might not as be, might not as be as obsessive as I am, where when I look at you know, what people are told what to do and what not to do, and I look at how things are trading in the markets, I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe people are consuming more, and it's affecting, you know, their ability to import here, so they're telling people there not to eat or not to utilize. So maybe I might have said a little bit too much, but just trying to simplify it, letting people know, okay, well, you use palm dish or dish liquid. Well, the palm oil that's in there is coming from Congo. Well, something simple as that. That's that's really good ex- explanation. And uh, before we take our next break, um, I want to talk about what uh, we shared a moment ago uh, in the news. Uh, it would be good to just speak from um, the financial perspective. I investor. When an investor reads in the news that uh, Freeport McMoran has just sold um, his company, or his shares, it's uh, fifty six percent to the Chinese. If you're an investor in, uh, let's say, in New York or in Toronto, and you read that uh, in some document prospectus or whatever comes to your table, 
Um, mm-hmm. What does that mean for you as an investor? And what does that mean for Congolese people in general? Well, um, unfortunately, one of the harsh, the harsh realities is um, for Congolese people, there really isn't much change because the average Congolese person really is not involved in the trading aspect. Um, unless there are a few that here are in the U.S. or abroad that have actually purchased shares in such companies, they really don't affect, you know, who's buying and selling. The ones who really do affect it are the shareholders in the West. So, say, for example, if a company decides that they want to sell shares of the company or even sell the company to another organization, what typically, typically happens is that they first have to ask the permission of the shareholders. So they'll send out um, uh, a proxy, and in that proxy, it typically will state, okay, well, you know, we have this particular investor that is looking to take over whatever the percentage is of the company, and that shareholders typically have the right to vote if it's going to be something where they'll be taking over that corporation, where they'll have maybe um, the majority or even take over the company as a whole. So the shareholders have the right to vote on that. If by chance the company itself wants to allow that other organization to take them over, then it can turn into a proxy fight, which can then go on for you know long periods of time where they're fighting back and forth because the shareholders don't want to sell, but the owner of the company wants to sell. So you'll find yourself going back and forth. But it really comes down to what will benefit the company but also the shareholders. So typically, if they're on the same page, they will allow that takeover. Um, if they're not, then they'll find themselves in a fight. Now, when it comes down to a company such as Freeport McMoran selling a large uh, portion of their shares to a foreign company such as uh, a, a Chinese company, for example, knowing that many of the Chinese corporations are owned or controlled by the Chinese government, then you really have to ask yourself, okay, now, does the Chinese government have the best interest of the shareholders in mind? Does the Chinese government have um, the Congolese people, you know, their best interest in mind? So those are many of the questions that you want to ask yourself. Um, unfortunately, there aren't that many investors that think in the mindset of, okay, well, what's best for the people on the ground? They think more about, okay, how, how much money am I going to make? Um, what are the growth possibilities? What are the, you know, the long-term or the short-term um, gains that I could get from purchasing these particular shares? So, you know, uh, not that many people that are investing are thinking about the little person. They're not, they don't, I'm not saying that they don't care, but the average investor is not thinking about the village that, the copper was mined in. They're not really thinking about whether or not the people that live in that area that, you know, this new mine has been created and whether or not they have, you know, running water or if they have plumbing or even if they have, you know, food. That's not in the mind of the average investor. Um, But hopefully over time that can be the norm where we can possibly influence people to think about, okay, well, you know, you do want to think about your long-term gains and the growth, of that particular company, but, you know, what can we do to, to kind of change the mindset where, you know, we do want to care about how the people are living in those areas. 
considering that majority of these mines or even, you know, plantations are in um, what are, what's considered to be third world countries or countries where the, the average, you know, um, income is less than a dollar, so to speak. Well, I'm interested in uh, finding out a little bit more of what can the average Congolese in the Congo and outside the Congo do uh, to get more involved regarding uh what's happening in their country, how can they have a a say. But before we do, let's take a short break and listen to African Celebration by François Niamot-Matrile. Allô, 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 allô. Puis-je parler à l'Afrique, s'il te plaît? C'est à l'appareil. Oui, mais tu sais, c'est François, comme d'habitude. Et, et bien, malheureusement, elle n'est pas là. Y a-t-il un message Oh, mais dis donc. Toujours la même histoire, le seul message. Toujours la même histoire, le seul message. De quoi il s'agit-il Il s'agit de la célébration d'une nouvelle tradition. On va danser comme on danse aux Zaïre, on va danser comme on danse en Afrique, partout. On va danser comme on danse à Paris, on va danser comme on danse à Washington, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Cameroun, Sénégal, Guinée, Sierra Leone et partout. Alors ça va father, actually, which is an interesting fact that I just uh, learned singing African Celebration. His name is François Niamon Matuila. And uh, I'm not sure if, I'm sure you know the song African Celebration. What does it make you think of uh, when you think of that song? And where were you during this time in your life? And were you oh, even my born? Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, uh, it actually, he wrote it when I was a little girl. And every time I hear it, it brings tears to my eyes. Um, yeah, that was, that song actually... Because um, my dad, he he loved jazz music. He played jazz music all the time. Um, but it was when he played music um, that I felt was true to who he was as a, a Congolese, not only dad, but also someone from the Congo. That made me really proud because I could, like, you know, say to my friends, you know, this is my dad, mm. you know. So it, it really, really... 
that's where my love of Congolese music started, right there. So t- tell us a little bit about uh, your dad, uh, François Nyomoman Twila. Uh, many people may not know who he was. Um, can you tell us a little bit about his journey as an artist, as a musician, a guitar player? Yes. Um, so uh, my dad, I called him Daddy, where my older sister Julia called him Papa because she was born in France. So I called him Daddy. Um, so my, my dad, he, um, he actually left Congo when he was about 15, 16 years old. Wow. And um, he, the first band he played with was Grand Calais, and he played as a guitarist. Um, he actually started out before that in church, going to Catholic school. And um, my grandfather was uh, the director of a school in, um, I think it's called the uh, Commune de Balumbu, mm-hmm. and it was called Ecole Saint-Paul. Uh, Saint and um, my dad started his love of music there, and he used to actually get in trouble when he was a little kid. Um, he, he actually created a guitar out of, like, chicken wire and pieces of wood, and he started, like, playing the guitar at, like, I think, three or four years old. And my dad um, grew up in in Matongue, so anyone who's actually familiar with Kinshasa, you can't live in Matongue and not know of or love music. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, he... He loved the guitar. He, uh, after playing with with, uh, Grand Calais, he ended up going to to Europe, and he um, eventually started studying music, and he went back to Congo, but not Congo Kinshasa, but to Congo Brazzaville, and he um, started playing with uh, Taboulé Rochereau, and he played with him for many years, and um, when my dad ended up uh, going back to to Europe and living in France, he finished his studies in classical music, and classical music only because my grandfather would not respect you if you didn't have a diploma, Um, so my, my father... Um, ended up finishing his studies in classical music at the um, the University, Protestant University in Paris. And uh, while he was finishing his studies, he met my mom, um, who was modeling in Europe and at that time living in Germany. But um, my dad, uh, once my parents married, they ended up moving to the U.S. And when they moved to the U.S., they now my mom is from Evanston, but she lived in Europe at the time. And when they moved to the U.S., um, we were living in New York City, and my dad was teaching at Howard University, um, and he was a part of the jazz faculty there okay. um, for many years. Yeah. So there was so much. <laughs> what are some other songs uh, by your father, uh, either that he has produced or that you love? Oh, my goodness. Um, quite honestly, um, I do know, I do not know all of the titles, but I do remember the album that he played on with Rochereau when, um, when I believe Rochereau was in, was in exile. Um, my goodness, what is the name of that, that song? Oh, my God. Um, but it was... Oh, my goodness. There is a story was, about... Uh, there, is, there might be a song named after you. Uh, have you heard that before? Oh, by Vikas, I think his name is was. I don't know the artist, but uh, through our research, we found out that there may be a song uh, uh, in the Congo where that your father. Well, let's uh, let's clarify through our research. We were talking to the producer Lubangi Munyanya. He said he knows you very well, uh, not oh, very well, but when you were very small, he hasn't been in contact uh, with you for a while. But he did mention, um, you know, what Kambali had just mentioned right now. So we just wanted to check that. Is it true? Oh my goodness. 
Well, I'm wrong. Well, I'm not going to say I was my father's favorite. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I can say this because before my dad moved back to Congo, um, oh God, he moved back to Congo back in 2000. And before that, um, you know, we have an older sister that my dad had before he left Congo when he was really young. But once he married my mom, there was just the two of us, me and my sister. And I was kind of like his boy. <laughs> so I was, Pretty much very, I was exactly like he was when he was a child. I was, also, I was often told by my dad's relatives that I was durisant comme ton père. So I was like very turbulent, just like my dad. So he found, he got a lot of pride from that. And when he would, you know, learn about me fighting and he was just like, yes, no, no, did you win? I'm like, yeah, I won. He's just like, yes. So yeah, I was kind of, I think because I reminded him so much of himself as a child. So grow, uh, growing up in that home of uh, the Nyomo's home, uh, you know, your father is an artist. Uh, your mom also is an artist, you know, for way, not considering mm-hmm. modeling also as form of art. Um, how did that impact you? Because you use that term that you, know, you grew up almost uh, in the United Nations. Um, how was the experience growing up in the Nyomo's home? Oh, my goodness. So um, growing up, we had, like, friends from everywhere, literally. Um from so many different backgrounds, you can't even imagine. I'm not even going to go through the list right now. But I remember when we were really young, my mom had tons of books on African history, like mm. every single country throughout Africa. So we at home were learning about African history. And when we would, when we would learn about Congo, my mother would always, you know, put an emphasis on the fact that, you know, not trying to negate the fact that there was colonialism or, or anything negative that took place, but she would always say, you know, the Congo was only colonized for 80 years, only 80 years. And the reason why she would put an emphasis on that was that she would always say that these are people that were able to maintain their identity. And once they finally were fed up, they said enough was enough, and then that's when, you know, they fought to get the Belgians out. And, you know, as a little kid, especially growing up as, you know, as a child of an African parent or an African-American parent, that pride being told, you know, well, your people fought against slavery, your people fought against colonialism, you know, even though they were occupied for a period of time, just that sense of identity. So I, I was like one of very few I guess, black children who, you know, when people would mention slavery and slaves in a derogatory manner or speak about Africa or Africans in a derogatory manner, I always stood strong even as a little kid and said, well, no, my my people fought against that, you know, not saying that we were better than anyone else, but just saying that regardless of what is being taught to African children here in the United States, and when I say African children, I mean all black children here in the United States, when they're being taught that, oh, no, we, you know, basically came in and took you people or your brothers and sisters were simply selling you and it was allowed. And I would stand up and say, no, my people fought against that. You know, no, we didn't allow it. And, you know, just that constant reinforcement of identity and self-worth and knowing that it wasn't just this ease of, okay, we're going to come in and take over these people and force them to believe what we believe, but there were fights. There were fights all throughout Africa where African people were standing up and saying, we're not going to allow this. I'm not saying that there weren't any, 
you know, there were few, there were some accomplices, absolutely. But overall, it was not that the African people wanted to just send their people off to slavery. And that's the story that I'm attempting to tell, not only through, you know, throughout my entire life, but also through the festival saying, no, you know, African people didn't just say, okay, we're going to ship off these millions and millions of people off to a place to be enslaved, you know, in perpetual slavery. Um, so a lot of that comes from when I was growing up and what I was taught. One of the the things I was thinking about uh, was Kambali mentioning uh, your father being a musician, your mother also being somebody in the entertainment uh, field. When you think of uh, what you're doing with the Festival of Congo and you think of music being such uh, an important aspect of Congolese, you know, we talk about a lot of Congolese who leave the Congo. And every time we ask this question, how did you keep Congo alive? It's either connected with food or it's connected to music. But majority of the time, it's music. What do you feel is the importance of music when you think of the women in Congo, when you hear about all these atrocities that go on in Congo, when you hear about the pain? How do you feel or what do you what would you say music is important to them? How how do you feel that they may translate music in their life? We translate it as we keep Congo alive. What would you what would your perspective be being that you grew up in that household and speaking to your father and the importance of music would you say is for the Congolese women in Congo? Um, it's absolutely important. There, you cannot talk about the Congolese identity as it, as it pertains to women without talking about music. Um, me personally, when I when I was growing up, I would listen to uh, artists such as Milia Bell, um, Kalamwana, Pongo um, Love, and these are women who, in my opinion, were very self aware and very sure of who they were as Congolese women and proud to be who they were. Um, and when I speak about female artists of today, Congolese artists, uh, there's this one in particular, um, her name is Claudia Batisa. Mm-hmm. She's based out of the UK. There's another one, um, Blondine, who is based up in, in Canada. And these are also Congolese women who are, you know, they're basically speaking of who we are through the music. Mm. They are women who are showing, you know, that it's, they're proud to be who they are. They're not individuals who are playing the victim role, not saying that there are not victims in Congo, but at the same time, there's currently a one-sided view of the Congolese woman, Mm. which is one of victimization, which is one of uh, a lack of identity, which is one of a lack of value and a lack of respect, which also, through the festival, I'm working to change. Because the Congolese woman isn't simply one that has gone through these many atrocities, which, of course, they have. But the Congolese woman traditionally, which is what we need to get back to, which is the traditional identity of the Congolese woman, which is a woman who holds holds the community together, who holds the family together, who is very well respected in society and looked up to. And unfortunately, because of what's taken place um, through colonialism, but also through the war that's been going on over the past 20 years, where the identity of the Congolese woman has become so warped that so many outsiders who are not familiar with who we are as women are just like, oh, look at there. You know, you have these women who are being 
taken advantage of. You have these women who are being raped. You have these women who are being marginalized as women, and it's because that's their culture. And I'm, I've had to stand up and say, no, that is not the culture. Here is what the culture is. This is the true identity of the Congolese woman, and I'm really trying to bring it back to that, where we're, of course, speaking about all of these negative things that are happening to us, but at the same time saying, you know what, traditionally these things would not have been allowed. And it's because of the current state of the Congo that these things are taking place. It's so be- we have to. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to basically, it's beautiful to hear uh, you being a Congolese. Uh, to take initiative to speak for the Congolese women. Uh, It's something that I also try to do in the work that I um, try to get involved with, no matter what it may be, maybe in the Congo, but I always try to keep their voice alive. And I'm really interested in finding out a little bit more about the Festival Congo in Atlanta, but let's take a short break and you can share a little bit more details with our listeners about, you know, why the Festival of Congo and how you came about doing it and what's going to be happening during that event. All right. Africa 
And welcome back to Congo Live. You were just listening to Frère Gola. Uh, it's actually, uh, I, I'm probably not saying it right. Go ahead, Kabbalah. You're giving me this no, look. No, no, I did not give Fera, you a look. Frère Gola? No, that's Frère Gola. Ah, Frère Gola, Frère Gola. Put Pardon. some respect on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were listening to Ferry Gola. Uh, he was actually spotted and recruited by Wirasson into the group Wenge Musica. Gola joined the group Quartier Latin International of Kofiolomide, and he eventually left in 2006 for uh, his solo career. And uh, he's a pretty popular musician. I, he loves doing rumba. I just love his music. And getting back into what we were talking about, speaking of music and speaking of uh, Congolese culture, we have our guest who is going to be doing the Festival Congo in Atlanta. Can you share a little bit with our listeners where is it going to be, and uh, what the, you know? When did you come up with this concept? And uh, you know, just share a little bit of details for our listeners who may want to participate. Absolutely. Um, so the Festival Congo is going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, and it will be taking place August twenty sixth through the 28th. It's going to be a three-day weekend, okay. and it's going to be held at Gallery 874 in, um, in Atlanta, and tickets actually start going on sale on the 10th of June, and we're going to be posting all of the details on our website, uh, www.festivalcongo.org, as well as on our Twitter at Festival Congo on Twitter and our Facebook page as well and our Instagram with details. And what are some and things that our listeners can look forward to um, coming? What 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 do you have set for them? Or is, are there some musicians? Are there going to be art? Are there going to be dancers? There's going to be all of that. So what I'm what I'm seeking to do with the festival is I'm highlighting the arts, culture, and traditions of the Congo. Okay. So of course you can't have a festival without the music. Mm-hmm. So we do have a number of bands that are going to be participating, as well as um, we have visual and performing artists, as well as literary artists who will be participating. Um, the bands that we're going to have, um, we have Afrique Electro, um, which is based in Montreal. It's my little brother Leonel Kizaba who's in Montreal, he does Afro-techno. He also does traditional music, and, you know, funny that you plays Ferry Gola. He actually used to be a drummer for Ferry Gola back in Kinshasa before he moved to Canada. Mm. Um, yes, and then also we have uh, Claudia Batisa, um, who is what I like to refer to as the new face of the Congolese rumba, and she's based in the U.K. We have also um, Kumu Katalai, who is based in New York, my, little, my, my brother, um, Kumu Katalai, who has coined a term called contemptra, which is a combination of contemporary and traditional music. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be playing with his band Lifelong, Lifelong Project. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, Miriam Silva, who is a Brazilian samba dancer, and she also does cadomble. Okay. Um, and we have Nzila Afrobeat Project, which is a band out of Venezuela led by Cesar Garcia. And they do... Um, kind of uh, a jazz, salsa, but very Afrocentric um, music coming out of Venezuela. And we also have Blondine, who is also our Congolese artist. I refer to as the face of Congolese R&B, and she's based in Montreal. And we do have um, a, a Congolese band that is coming. We are going to keep them as a surprise once we prepare to unveil who that amazing I mean, artist let's is. Take, let's, Actually, let's take a no, I know who that is. Oh. She's bringing back together Wingy Musica. Wingy. 
<laughs> I'm thinking Fali, Pupa, and the whole crew. That's what I'm thinking. We have to put some money on that. Uh, we actually have a caller by the name of uh, Stella who's calling the show. I've... Give me one second. Let me go ahead and lock her in. And hello, Stella. How can we help you today? And welcome to Congo Life. Yeah, first of all, I just wanted to thank you for this wonderful show. Every time I'm not home on Saturday or two, I really miss it. And I've actually gone back and listened to it. And um, it's just so wonderful as a Congolese mom, you know, um, I mean, I'm an older generation, um, to see the wonderful initiatives um, that are taking place. And sometimes we will know about if Congo Live uh, did not invite the caliber of people that you're accustomed, you know, to inviting, like um, the lady that's speaking today, Indona Nemo. And I just wanted to thank more and hopefully... Um, uh, she can provide a little more information that she, than she just did, um, or you guys can do about the Congo Festival in Atlanta, because it's really important as not only part of our education for children of all ages, you know, young and old, and I just wanted to say that we will miss you since I read this was the last season, I mean, the last show of the season, and we just wanted to thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much and Mama Stella and all your producers. We definitely need to have uh, your son in the studio. We know that's one <laughs> combatant. We need. We would love to have him and actually do a show uh, with just to see, you know, young Congolese. What are they learning? And I'm sure Kambali has something special he wants to say. Definitely, and um, just to make sure so our listeners get it. Um, w- what is the website for right. the festival, uh, Amandona? Okay, it is. FestivalCongo.org, so it's www.festival, F-E-S-T-I-V-A-L, Congo, C-O-N-G-O, dot O-R-G. And um, like I mentioned, it's we're really trying to bring forth the importance of culture, traditions, and um, one of them also is the languages, mm. um, okay. because oftentimes we have people that unfortunately don't believe that Africans have their own languages. Mm. So... Um, I have been introduced to an amazing author by the name of Richard Ali Amutu, who actually writes in Lingala. Oh, wow. Um, yes, he also writes in French as well, but I'm really seeking to get people that write in the indigenous languages, not only for Congolese children who were born and raised here, but also for other people to real, to you know get to know the fact that Africans do have languages. And um, they're highly important because if you don't know the language of the person, you don't really know their identity, nor will you be able Mm -hmm. to know their full story. So, yeah. And a question I may have uh, before we we have about two, three minutes. Are there ways where people can help, volunteer? Um, And for those who want to travel, like for somebody like me who may be in the Washington, D.C. area, what would you tell some of our listeners? What would be the budget? Like, should they come there prepared to spend money on food or is it going to be something that's provided? And just the approximately the cost. So whoever is thinking about coming, they should have uh, something set in their mind because I know Congolese, they like to know, okay. It's going to be this much <laughs> before they even consider going. Absolutely. So I want anyone who can, who's in earshot, basically anyone who wants to come to come, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be similar as to going to pretty much any indoor festival. Okay. So there will be a cost of admission. Um, at present, the price ranges go from 20 to $80, okay. depending on what it is they're looking to do, whether or not they just want to see the art exhibit, if they want to see the actual live performances, if they want to do like a three-day weekend package. just really depends. Um, now, as far as 
concerned, we will have vendors. Um, and they're, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the bank. It's pretty, re- pretty reasonable in price. And um, I pretty much want anyone to come. You don't have to be Congolese. I would love the entire Congolese community to come out and support because I really think it's something that we truly do need, not only for ourselves, but also for our children and also for our, our identity in the world so that we can share with people who we are, um, but also to be able to connect with other communities, to connect with um, not only the you know entire African diaspora, but also other communities that are inquisitive and want to know what does it mean to be Congolese? What does you know? What do they eat? Because I know recently there was a show where they spoke about what Congolese people eat, and I was very ashamed because that was not what we eat. But um, I won't mention the name because I don't want to promote. But <laughs> there, you know, we definitely will have Congolese food. We also will have Caribbean food, uh, Latin food, uh, food, you know, African American food as well. And um, just come out and learn, you know, come out and learn, come out and, yeah, I need volunteers. Okay, so as far as volunteers, I need people that speak the indigenous languages that are capable of teaching to people that want to learn. Um, because we're going to have workshops. We're going to have dance workshops where people can learn Congolese dance, both modern and traditional. I need people that speak Lingala, Chiluba, Congo, Swahili. Should they go on the website, or is there a number where they can call for the volunteers? Or an email. Or an email, yeah. Yes. Um, now, on the website, there's an envelope where you can click to be able to email, and now through the email, you can basically state what it is that they'd like to do. Um, we are still in the process of putting together the volunteer package, but at present we are accepting through email um, any information for people that are looking to volunteer because I need volunteers. So we, we will make sure to post all that information on our Facebook page. And Congo Live is interested in sponsoring, so make sure you send us a sponsorship package as well. Uh, we'll make sure to let our network know about it, and you may see us there. And we want to say thank you for joining Congo Live and enjoy your summer. I'll be in the Congo eating some shikwang, some maidesu, and all that good stuff. And thank you to Lubangi Munyanya for everything that you've done for us throughout uh, the year. And we want to say again thank you to our listeners because without you, we would not be here. And thank you, Kambali, and thank you to our guests.